It is the Locked On Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisco. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, Bengals fans. This is the Locked On Bengals podcast. If you're driving to work, make sure you tell your smart device to listen to podcasts Locked On Bengals, as you do every day, I'm sure, by now. We'll keep you company on your ride to work. This is the one-month anniversary of Joe and I taking over the Locked On Bengals podcast, and we've had a fantastic first month. So we wanted to take a moment here before we start talking about Jeff Hobson's annoying question and answer mailbag this week and the defensive line and getting into the nitty gritty of the Bengals roster situation to thank you all for listening, for downloading, for talking to us on Twitter about the podcast, for your kind words, for your suggestions, your constructive criticism. We love it all. We've had a great first month. Joe, what do you, what do you want to say to our loving fans you guys have stayed consistent you know we look at the stats we look at the numbers a lot of you are listening um we hope that we're providing good content hopefully we're getting better we've gotten good feedback from you guys to say that we've all kind of are getting into our groove and it's you know becoming better for everyone better for us to do more efficient for us to do and better to listen to so we like the criticism go ahead and offer it we're in this together to make it the best possible show possible just don't tell me I sound like paint drying on a wall. We'll be good. He got that once, and he, he was very offended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Speaking of things that are offensive, Jeff Hobson thinks that the Bengals need to draft a nose tackle in the first round. And Joe stopped reading the, question, the mailbag at that point. I kept going because I was fired up. I don't understand what world we could be in where you can't pass an elite nose tackle the same way you can't pass an elite corner in the first round, especially pick 11. Like maybe that would be true in the late first round, maybe, but I don't even think there's a world in which the best nose tackle in the NFL is worth a top 10 pick at this point. Vitavea went last year, right? And I wouldn't have touched him because he's a nose tackle and he's one of the most athletic and able pass rushing nose tackles in the league, or at least as a prospect. And I wouldn't have touched him. I, I was with. I'm, I like to read Jeff Hobson. I appreciate Jeff Hobson. I have much respect for him. Uh, I just think sometimes when he talks about this, it's, I don't know, man. It's just so misguided. In in terms of when I, I stopped reading when he said there are no Geno Atkins in this draft, so you get a big nose tackle instead to help out your linebackers. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. It couldn't be farther from reality. If anything, there's three Geno Atkins in this class with Quinnen Williams, Ed Oliver, and maybe Christian Wilkins. So having said that, and Jeffrey Simmons might be, and he's hurt. I mean, there might be four of those types. And Dexter Lawrence, I think, is the best nose tackle. He may go in, like, the third round. I mean, what are we talking about? And I think that just gets that just gets silly. I just – I stopped there, Jake. I don't know if there's any, if it kept going that weird, but that's where I logged off. Uh, there, there's some other stuff. The the normal refrain about the Bengals' approach to free agency won't change. 
we shouldn't expect it. They have to re-sign their own guys. When he said that, I got triggered as I always do when people talk about how stingy the Bengals are going to be with unrestricted free agents. The Bengals aren't getting compensatory picks for their free agents this year. They might, if they're lucky, get a fifth if Eifert goes somewhere for more money than we think he's going to get. Or Uzama signs a uh, uh, Trey Burton contract. Or Darkwest Denard also. I mean, there is potential there for a couple of fourth So there's some potential that if they don't retain the guys they want to retain, they might have the potential to get some compensatory picks. So I guess I'm wrong. Maybe maybe there's some comp picks coming, fourth, fifth round. I don't think there's a third round pick for the guys they have and some of the the deals we're going to see. They also have a preposterous amount of cap space. They have $50 million against the cap this year. The cap's going to go up again next year. Right now, it looks like they have $70 million, assuming it doesn't go up next year. It will go up another 10 to $15 million next year. So even if they, you know, re-sign all three tight ends and Arquez Denard and some of their other lower free agents, that's not going to get to $50 million this year. And they're still going to have, you know, 70 maybe not 70 What's a reasonable number? They'll probably have 50 again next year. Yeah, yeah, that's reasonable. And, 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 they, and they have a lot more free agents next year. I, I have a whole yep. tweet thread about it. But regardless, the idea that they can't afford to sign a starting linebacker or actually shell out for a tackle because the draft is unpredictable is, 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 is just it's archaic. It, teams need to build using all the tools that they have available to them. We've seen that the last few years with the teams that have been competitive and winning in the playoffs. And it's something the Bengals need to get on, need to get on board with. And this is why I say they don't have the cash to spend. They don't have the ability to spend and sign free agents. It's not about the cap, right? It's because what was the quote? Was it from rap sheet this weekend where he said, uh, Teams aren't even worried about the cap. It wasn't rap sheet. It was somebody else that I retweeted. But they said, basically, teams are not worried about the cap no. at all. It's all about how much cash do you have right now that you can put into a, a bank account to yeah. sign these guys. And you, we have to assume that the Bengals don't have it because they cannot spend it. And they routine, routinely they never do. don't spend it, even on their own guys. Andy Dalton got $17 million guaranteed. Geno Atkins, I think, got $16 million guaranteed. I mean, we're talking bottom-of-the-barrel type mm-hmm. numbers and that's the money you have to shell out day one that the contract is signed. So I don't know. And I was going to ask you, does this, because this is an ongoing question for us this offseason, if their inability to, or if their lack of aggression in free agency happens, do you see this as a potential sign that they are rebuilding? Because honestly, no. the core, the good core is older. They're 31, 32, right? 30 to 32. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're rebuilding. To me, it means business as usual. They still think they can win now the way they tried to win now under Marvin Lewis. They and they're can. approaching it the same way. But that's the feel that I got from reading the Hobson article, right? That was going to yeah. be the next thing I talk about. He he flatly dismisses the idea that the Bengals are going to even entertain the idea of trading Andy Dalton to Washington or trade for Josh Rosen. He thinks that, that Zach Taylor was attracted to coaching a veteran quarterback in Andy Dalton in Cincinnati and that he thinks he can come in and make a, a competitive roster right away. And and maybe that's true. Maybe they turned it around really quickly. But the way that teams do that around the NFL is with A, unexpected performances from guys on the team or rookies, and B, they're active in free agency. Yeah. They cannot get over the hump without being active 
in in the early portions of free agency. Cannot happen. Will not happen. The Rams do not get to where they get to without acquiring veteran talents. And it doesn't need to be C.J. Mosley. It doesn't. But it needs to be somebody who can come in and actually play at a high level. You know, we're not talking third week A.J. Hawk. He mentioned Brandon LaFell. Yeah, Brandon LaFell is the guy, the bang for your buck guy that he cites as like, this is the kind of deal you can. And Brandon LaFell was signing. But he, yeah, I mean, you you can say he was productive in Cincinnati, but no, he's he's just a guy. He was playing. He doesn't make you better. No, right. He he doesn't take you to another level. He doesn't make you better as a football team. He is a replaceable in terms of he replaced someone for you and you can replace him easily. And in fact, after signing LaFell, they drafted two premium receivers in Tyler Boyd and John Ross. They were aware of it. And oh, because yeah. you went cheap in free agency to replace uh, Marvin Jones and Muhammad Sanu and Brandon LaFell, you were forced to spend premium picks on that position to replace it. The replacement cost that they're dealing with here oh, yeah. is just digging them in a deeper and deeper hole. Yeah, it's, it's, it's draft capital instead of guaranteed dollars capital in an escrow account. And that's the other thing is, He's talking about they need to keep this money to re-sign their guys. And they have re-signed Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins and A.J. Green, to their credit. And, and Vontos Perfect, when it looked like he was going to have a productive career. Who else have they re-signed? They re-signed a lot of guys. Andy Andrew Dalton. Whitworth got three contracts. Sure. But they also haven't re-signed some guys. And sometimes, and, and Drake Kirkpatrick is another one they've signed. And sometimes they signed the wrong guys. Uh, Marvin Jones, Mohamed Sanu, Kevin or Kevin Zeitler, Andrew Whitworth, Jonathan Joseph all get away. Eric Steinbach, if we're going to go back to Jonathan Joseph, I guess. But they've let good players get away as well. And the hard part is you let Jonathan Joseph go away because you said, okay, we got Leon Hall, we got J. Joe, we can only sign one. So you sign one. The cost of what they spent trying to replace Jonathan Joseph is what the problem is. It's spending two first-round picks, Drake Kirkpatrick and Dark Wesnard. It's bringing in Pac-Man Jones, Terrence Newman, Kelly Jennings. Remember they traded for him for yeah. uh, for Clinton McDonald, who's still a productive player in the NFL? I mean, it's and there's guys I'm forgetting, right? They have spent so much money and so many resources. First-round picks probably worth $20 million if we're going to equate it to cash or cap. Uh, it, that's gold in NFLs. And you've spent two of those to replace one guy that is still grading well. I saw Pro Football Focus posted something today. He graded as an 80. He would have been the Bengals' highest-graded corner still this year in 2018. I mean, the replacement cost is far outweighed. Instead of spending first-round picks on to replace that guy, you could have drafted a linebacker or a right tackle or whatever. Pick one to make your team better. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and this happens across the league. This isn't a problem exclusive to the Bengals. But the Bengals' inactivity in free agency is a problem exclusive to the right. Bengals. Right. So teams lose players. That happens, obviously. C.J. Mosley's a free agent right now, and he's a guy that was thought of as the defensive leader, a defensive leader anyway, in Baltimore. So this happens. But the Baltimore is, is still creative in building their team. Right now, the roster doesn't look great, so maybe not the best example. But people love Ozzie Newsome and what he's done in the draft and in free agency. I mean, use the Patriots as an example. They lose guys all the time. Right. They lose guys all the time. They cut guys early when they're not productive. They cut guys instead of paying them. Chandler Jones, right? Good player. They said, no, it's not worth it. We've drafted positions. You know, we've drafted defensive end and edge rushers that we think can can match that at a fraction of the cost. So they let them go. But they're never afraid to go out and pay for Daryl Revis or Stephon Gilmore or Randy Moss or name it. And they will go and do it to secure the roster and secure the positions they need. 
And if they're wrong, they're going to address those spots where they're wrong. Because I, I think Bengals fans were already saying, well, Andrew Whitworth, we let him go because there's Jake Fisher and Cedric Obwehi waiting. And A, we already knew that Cedric Obwehi wasn't ever going to be a very good tackle for the Bengals. And, and B, as soon as that didn't work, if that's Bill Belichick running your team, they're addressing it. They're finding Trent Brown or whoever it is to come in and play tackle. Right, they're not forcing a bad player to play for two, three, four. They're not letting Russell Bodine play for four years. They're just not going to let that happen. No matter what they've invested, no matter what they've they've sunk costs, they've started to accumulate, they will get out from under it and move on to make decisions, and you have to do that. You have to do that. Anyway, that's enough ranting. Let's talk about the defensive line. Uh, so just a quick summary of what's going on with the defensive line on the Bengals roster right now, before we get into defensive tackle specifically in 2018, the Bengals were above average in defensive line spending at roughly $39.5 million, depending on whether you believe Spotrack or over the cap. And one of those I think uses active contracts instead of including guys that get hurt. And the Bengals did have injuries on the defensive line. The NFL average is around 26 million depending again on which site you refer to. So there's not much room to add salary here. We're not looking at them going out into free agency and signing a defensive tackle or, or a defensive end because they're already with Atkins and Dunlap. Those two alone together, those two contracts is roughly the NFL average in spending on the defensive line. And this to be clear, doesn't include some of those premier edge guys like Von Miller and Khalil Mack because they're categorized as linebackers. So if you threw those into the mix, the average is probably a little bit higher. And we saw that with Carl Lawson, right? Because uh, when yeah, we did linebackers, kind of he linebacker. was yeah. One of the sites had him as a linebacker, one had him as a defensive end. So yeah, they're paying this unit a lot to be good and be productive and be effective. Be really be the strength of I be, maybe right with corner, but of the defense, right? Sure. Be the strength of the defense. In fact, at times it looks like it could be the strength of the entire team. Uh, so they're paying him to do that, and I think that was probably a large reason of why we saw so much turnover on the defensive side of the ball at coaches between Austin and Marvin to now Anna Rumo uh, is because these guys were underperforming and not effective and not, and you know how to use them. And they dealt with some injuries too. back up at defensive tackle, Carl Lawson. uh, Those are, those are big hits. Yeah. And, and it's challenging. I think when, you know, you have two guys that are most of the money and they're getting up there in age too, and you never know when, that age wall is going to hit. They were both still productive players. We'll talk about them specifically in just a second. Really quick, looking at upcoming free agents on the defensive side of the ball. This year, it's Michael Johnson, an unrestricted free agent. His time in Cincinnati, you'd have to think, has come to a close. He had a very solid, if unspectacular, career in Cincinnati. He has been directly responsible for the Bengals winning some games. He had that 10-sack year. Look back on Michael Johnson's time in Cincinnati. Finally got them a third-round pick that one time, too. I got a good story about Michael Johnson, okay? So he was a free agent, and this was the first time, obviously, being a free agent. And he ultimately signed with the Buccaneers. But I get a text um, from his agent or someone that was assisting them, and he says, hey, I know you break down the Bengals. I know you watch a lot of film, this and that. Can you send me pictures of him lining up at various positions on the defense. Because remember, he played a lot of linebacker, even when he went to defensive tackle, left and right end, standing up, dropping into coverage. So I accumulated like 12 picks or so of him just basically in each uh, 12 pictures of him at different spots. And I sent it to him. 
And uh, he goes, all right, uh, thank you. Uh, and he texted me like 12 hours later, said he's going to sign with the Bucks. You can you can let everyone know. And I did on Twitter at the time, uh, which was cool. And uh, something I always think about when I think about Michael Johnson, just yeah. that was that was a handful of years ago. And that was a fun project to do. Fontes Perfect's agent once contacted me when I was working for Pro Football Focus. That's my agent story. That's all I got. That's uh, it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember the specifics anymore. I know he asked me... I think I had to pass him off to somebody higher up. I think I was too too low on the totem pole to actually address the things that he was after. Anyway, um, other upcoming free agents. This year, Josh Trupo and Adolphus Washington, who are both depth guys who had to be signed because of injuries at defensive tackle, are free agents. Those are both exclusive rights free agents, according to over the cap, I think. And the reason I say that according to is because we were, we've previously talked about Jake Fisher being an, ex- an exclusive rights guy. On this podcast, it turns out he is just an unrestricted free agent. So wherever we read that, that was incorrect. We questioned it, though, when we, we first did. read it. And yes. we were like, this is weird. Why is he on here? He played eight games, and it's only and if you play six, you you get a season. So um, to our credit, we did question it, but we said, you know what? They're usually correct on this stuff, and we'll, we'll go with it. They are usually correct, and we do trust them. And that will continue. Uh, next year, looking at 2021, Jordan Willis, Carl Lawson, and Ryan Glasgow are all free agents. And these are all guys that they probably – well, we'll see about Willis specifically – the other two have shown promise that you'd want to bring those guys back. So, though, or sorry, those are in 2021. I skipped a year. Andrew Billings and Christian Ringo are the restrictive or the unrestricted free agents in 2020. Billings yep. is a guy they'll probably want to bring back. He'll be 24, 25. Yep. He'll be 25 when he hits free agency. Yeah, because he's 23 now, turning 24. 20, very he's soon. almost 24. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. And if you look at the ages of all these guys, I've got them written down. And you got Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins at 30. The next, uh, and I'm not counting Adolphus Washington or Christian Ringo, of the core guys, the next oldest is Ryan Glasgow at yep. 25. Yep. Everyone else is 23. Lawson, Hubbard, Willis, Andrew Billings, and I have Andrew Brown written because they spent a fifth-round pick mm-hmm. on him last year. Yep. Yeah, and speaking of Andrew Brown, he's a free agent in 2022 along with Hubbard, who they picked last year as well. Carlos Dunlap's deal is up in 2022 as well. He'll be 33. Unless he has found the fountain of youth, I would not expect him to sign another contract with the Bengals at that point in time. Gino is, along with Billy Price, one of two players currently contracted until 2023. Uh, And and just to reiterate the point I talked about earlier in terms of the Bengals' uh, cap and cash commitments for the next couple years, there are 41 players under contract for the next two years for the Bengals overall. When you go out to that third year, it goes down to 12. NFL yeah. turnover is fast. Second and third contracts are very expensive. So we've talked about this on this podcast. Finding guys that can contribute in their first contract is so hugely important to any competitive window. Yep. Anyway, that's not about the defensive line. Let's get into defensive tackle, Joe. And we'll start by talking about Geno Atkins. His cap hit this year is $14.6 million, makes up most of the spending at defensive tackle, is obviously the gold standard as far as the Bengals go at defensive tackle had a bit of a down year for his incredibly lofty standards was still very good compared to the rest of the NFL compared to what you would expect or hope for best case Geno Atkins a little bit down yeah and he's still a very good player he's still a cornerstone player if you look at history at defensive tackle it's not kind after 30 years old these guys very often uh hit that career cliff and their production really drops off so we should expect it, and that's part of the reason why I think 
whenever we get into mock scenarios, we're looking at defensive tackle. And I understood that when, when Jeff Hobson was writing about defensive tackle, but I obviously didn't agree with the nose tackle part, but Atkins is still a good productive player. Someone you definitely want on the interior of your defensive line. If anything, I'd probably want to give him even less snaps, take away some of his base defense snaps, run defense, and just make him, you know, the ultimate pass rusher or put the, put him in those situations as much as possible because that's really where the impact is coming. Remember when he used to break through the line a lot, you know, slashing across, one gapping, shooting his gap and making tackles for a loss? They were very few and far between last year, and maybe he's missing a step on that, but he's still a productive pass rusher, and I want to start to phase him into that role more. But I think it's hard when you don't have a three tech behind him and the guys behind them, Billings, Glasgow and Andrew Brown, you could throw in Adolphus Washington and Christian Ringo in there. Ringo is probably the best at that, or at least that ability to show off that, but he's bounced around from a couple teams. Now uh, you got to think that his upside is, is tapped in one way or the other. So really we're pinning our hopes on Andrew Brown, maybe a fifth round pick last year. If not, I think they invest on that position again to back up Atkins. Yeah. It's the, it's the three tech in specific. Yeah. The pass rushing defensive tackle that's really missing on the roster. And, and Gino, talking about him maybe maybe having lost a step, he missed probably the most tackles, according to Pro Football Focus, that he's ever missed in a year. And this was a problem that was chronic along the defensive line, like the entire defensive line had a bad tackling year for the most part. Uh, but like you said, he's still a foundational player. Uh, he's under contract for the next four years. So, so he they, better be. <laughs> you got to hope that he's he stays the same guy that he is. Uh, talking about the rest of the defensive tackle roster, Andrew Billings last year I think took a big step forward. He still has tackle radius issues, but he had 632 snaps at defensive tackle, which was second for interior linemen by like 500. Yeah. And, and only when you have... behind Gino. You mentioned his tackle radius issues, and you see it a lot on film. And when you have him and Atkins together, Atkins missing tackles with short arms, 32, I believe it is, uh, that's why sometimes you can see these guys in the right position and mm -hmm. the running back just cut up behind that offensive lineman's back and get to the linebackers in one cut. And it's really not their fault. They're in position. They're just not plus length guys or plus you know space eaters at this point. So that's why I think middle linebacker is such a critical need to make – uh, these defensive tackles look better, and that instability they had last year really exposed them a few times. Billings, just he's a shorter guy, so is Atkins. They can lose vision. It happens, and and we saw that too often. But I, I do like Billings. Uh, coming out of Baylor, he had a nice first step. He could pass rush a little bit. He was strong as an ox, but that tackle radius and losing vision plagued him. The knee injury dropped him. I still think he's got a lot of upside. He was very young coming out. I just think his primary backup right now is Ryan Glasgow, and mm -hmm. I'll just jump into him. Uh, he was oh, playing really, really well. Why, you want to talk about Billings? I want to I want to talk a little bit more about Billings because he oh, was I... thought of by some as a borderline first-round pick that year before the injury news came out, right? So yep. Yep. We, I just want to reiterate that they did get excellent value there, and he also tested really well in terms of athleticism, right, for his For size. nose tackles, for nose tackles, yeah. Yeah, for his for his size, for for his position, he's, he's a pretty like athletic the three guy. Cone, his agility was real low. Oh, makes okay. sense. Yeah, because because that's again tackle radius, not just length, but also ability right. to change right. direction, burst quickly in in small spaces, and and that shows up on tape too. Yeah. Okay. So talk, talk about then, Ryan Glasgow now. 
yeah, 25 years old, the elder of the second group, right? And uh, Glasgow was an overachiever, career overachiever, a walk-on at Michigan, uh, has good measurements, tested decently. He, fourth-round pick, you don't expect much from those guys. As a rookie, I thought he contributed very well, backing up Atkins as a three-tech, even though I don't think that's his forte. Uh, he backed up more as nose tackle last year when they couldn't find somebody and they had to go with three active guys most games, and that's going to be Atkins, Billings, and Glasgow. Mm-hmm. So Glasgow had to double as both nose tackle, three-tech backup. He just seems out of place at both of those. But he did have some monster games. I think of the Carolina game. There was one drive. He made four tackles in a row and beating his man each time. Yeah. Uh, he graded well on pro football focus down the stretch. I want to see him come back. I think he can be a productive player. Honestly, when I watched him, I thought we talked about him yesterday, Kyle Williams. I thought maybe this guy could turn out to be Kyle Williams in the, as a mid-round pick. And the way he was playing last year before he got hurt, I'm, I started thinking, yeah, they might have someone here in, in Ryan Glasgow. Yeah, so we we look forward to him being healthy. He was very good as a run defender. He's uh, kind of kind of like Billings. He's he's there as a pass rusher. You're not going to expect huge contributions, but they're okay for what they are in in the pass rushing area of the game. Adolphus Washington is a guy that graded well. Uh, if we're done with with Glasgow, yeah, he only played like 150, 200 snaps or something like that for the Bengals. Was signed late in the year out of Ohio State, third round pick. Yeah, cut right. by Buffalo. Cut yep. by Buffalo. Uh, he's an exclusive rights free agent. I would like to see him back as a camp body at the very least because he did play relatively well in limited time for the Bengals. And then Andrew Brown, I think, is he, the fifth-round pick last year. Did he even play? Was he hurt? He was hurt in camp, and then he was uh, placed on IR after mm-hmm. releasing right. him, I believe it was. Released and then IR. Uh, Andrew Brown was a D-end early at Virginia, and then transitioned to more of a five-tech in their three-man front, played a lot more defensive tackle in pass-rushing situations. He tested very, very, very well. Uh, So he's one of their late-round picks of, I want to say he had above nine on a relative athletic score. He had a really good senior bowl, uh, flashed a lot that week. So he was somebody I definitely liked. Uh, It may have been a transition period, though. Anytime you're Defensive tackles usually don't hit the ground running as rookies anyways, but anytime you're a former end moving inside, we saw it with Marcus Hardison. The game is much faster. you got to be much more stout against the run. Uh, your hands got to be much quicker and stronger. So I have, a, have still some hopes for Andrew Brown, and I think maybe in year two we could see a, a surprise impact from him. But at the same time, whenever someone has missed a complete year or didn't give anything as a rookie, you're not counting on him. None of these backups here, from Ryan, including Ryan Glasgow down because he was injured, are going to preclude me from drafting a defensive tackle. No, especially one that could be dynamic. Right. And, and when we talk about that, again, we, we mentioned the names. Ed Oliver, Kalen Saunders. Who's the third guy? Christian Wilkins, it could be. Jeffrey Simmons. Jeffrey Simmons, and, that's the one. Yeah, if he's there. Uh, but yeah, I really like Kalen Saunders. But there's... When you look at it, and, and Jerry Tillery uh, tested really well, sure. Rashawn Gary would be an interior pass rusher, I think. Sure. Uh, so there are options that could come in and really provide some help. If the Bengals did draft Ed Oliver in round one and Jeffrey Simmons was there in round two, would you do it? It'd be tough to not take Simmons after day one. Uh, you'd probably be kicking yourself. It'd be a scenario like when you're taking a boy he and Fisher, you're back and you're going back to back. One of them being injured, uh, but I like both of their tape much more. So I, it would be hard to not do it. But at the same time, 
where is the value at defensive tackle when you already have Atkins and a young Billings that have that has hit his stride? But just imagine. Just imagine. I know. <laughs> if if they're if they turn into, you know, Sue and Aaron Donald, which is best case probably, right? But come on. You can dream on it. You can uh, and and that'd be fun. Anything else the defensive tackle we want to talk about, Joe? No. Christian Ringo. Yeah, Ringo has his athleticism. He was with the Bengals before. Uh he's been I think it was Packers, Bengals, Cowboys, back to Bengals. I just saw a workout video of him the other day. He looks quick as ever. I mean, he is quick. He's a penetrating defensive tackle. He had one of the best tackles for a loss, I want to say, against the Browns right on the two-yard line of the entire season. Uh, And, yeah, I still think he can help. He's 26 years old. Bring him back. Also, he's got another year left. So, you know, either Brown, Adolphus Washington, or Ringo may be able to step into that role and be the fourth defensive tackle that contributes. There you go. Have you seen Marcus Hardison's numbers or grades or any of that in the AAF? I was watching a game when Marvin Lewis was calling the game, and he was like, oh, yeah, we got one of our guys on there, Marcus Hardison, who we really liked. And I'm like, what about Grady Jarrett, Marvin? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let's not live in the past. No, I want to live there. Don't I want to go back to the moments before they picked Marcus Hardison. We can redraft that class one year, too. We want to do that for sure. Yeah. All right. So we'll take a quick break here and finish up by talking about defensive ends. Stick around through the ad and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We are going over positional reviews at defensive line today. We talked about defensive tackles in segment one. We're going to move on to the edge players, defensive ends, if you're a traditionalist. Uh, and since we are kind of still questioning the scheme of the defense, it is edge for now, I, I would say, Jake. Uh, but the dean of that group is Carlos Dunlap, 30 years old, receives an extension last, last offseason. Really been a really, really good player for them. You know, and type of guy that's had the clutch gene and taken over in fourth quarters and, and made big plays. I couldn't be happier with Carlos Dunlap and his play, even though the unit as a whole what had a letdown um how do you feel jake about this 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 group and where they are financially yeah so financially quickly 12.7 million dollars on the defensive end type players i don't think this includes carl lawson he's cheap anyways if it does it's a difference right of like nine hundred thousand dollars carlos dunlap is a vast majority of this the same way geno atkins is a vast majority of the defensive defensive tackle money carlos dunlap is 10.3 million of the dollars spent on defense. That's a bargain. You know, I kind of thought that too. For for four three defensive ends, his contract is nineteenth highest in the NFL. If you throw in the uh Khalil Max and Von Millers of the world, obviously that's lower. But yeah. if you go and look at his grade on Pro Football Focus for Edge guys, he's paid about commensurate with his performance. He also had um he was a byproduct of this poor defense being yes. down by two touchdowns yes. plenty of times. And as I, I broke down at the end of the last year, you just don't get sacks when no. you're losing in a game. And That's fair. It, as someone who's played a little bit of defensive end, nothing is more demoralizing than someone just running it constantly. Yep. And when your team, your offense can't put up points to give you those opportunities to have easy pass rush situations, and it affected this entire unit. It's easy to see. Well, yeah, you saw that. I mean, just a couple of years ago, or what, uh, 2015? Yeah. I feel like when they're playing with the lead a bunch, the defensive line looked great. 
Yep, they would get turnovers, interceptions, forced fumbles. I mean, that was the. De- <laughs> That's why when you get to, well, why is the defense bad or this and that? And I always look back at the offense, like, well, what are they averaging per game in points? If you're not alleviating some of that pressure from the defense, you yeah. are going to see a much different unit. Yeah. And, and when you talk about the defensive line underperforming, that is certainly the first thing you point out is just the game script, right? Yep. One thing Carlos Dunlap is consistently excellent at. One of the best in the league every single year batting passes. Remember when he jumped up and intercepted the pass from Jacoby Brissett versus the Colts and returned it for a touchdown to win the game? I want to say that was 2017. And he said after the game, Marvin's been telling him not to jump to bat passes and he didn't listen to him and came up with the game saving play i love that memory yeah there is one year in the last four years where he wasn't in the top three in the nfl if he wasn't leading the league that and that was i think four years ago he only had he only somehow one batted pass maybe that year he was listening to marvin a little bit too much yeah in the year since then it's been like seven thirteen nine Remember him not playing much as a rookie, and then about week eight, nine, he came in, was splitting time with Robert Gathers, and he had a really good rookie year for really playing the bulk of half of the season. It, he hit the ground running. Him and Atkins, same same draft, right? I mean, yeah. we, that's that's special to do that. It was. So no complaints with Carlos Dumas. Consistently great setting the edge against the run as well. He's not yeah. the athletic freak like most of the productive defensive ends in the nfl he's one of if you look at justice mosqueda he's he's one of the guys it's like an edge case of uh, productivity for pass rushers in terms of their athletic ability force players that's his thing force players and he takes production and athleticism basically and he can predict with pretty good accuracy who's who's going to be good in the nfl i mean that's honestly it's one of the strongest correlations of of analytics we have Mm -hmm. and he carlos dunlap was in the fringe range right of it could go it could not go and when you watch him win he's got great moves great technique but he also that length that power uh and surprising agility and bend for a guy that's i mean he's at 285 a lot of times big uh yeah, so for him to get around the corner the way he does at times, it's impressive. Uh, honestly, it just – you wish he had that. And and remember when it was just Dunlap and Johnson and Johnson was really declining? They really lacked that speed, edge rush. That guy that can just rip off the line oh, yeah. and, and apply instant pressure, and it made Atkins and Dunlap look much worse. And that's where Carl Lawson came in. Who's the Nevada guy? Dante Moke. Dante Moke. He was supposed to be the guy. He and they the thought guy. it may be Marcus Hunt or Will Clark also. They took high testers there. Man, I forgot about Will Clark. That was a bad pick. He was bad in college. So that's Carlos Dunlap. Uh, very, very good. Probably a good contract. I think I think I agree with you. It's a good contract. He's, he's definitely worth the $10 million he's paid. I think he's probably, I don't know. There's a lot of good edge players in the NFL. That's why I said maybe he is paid commensurate with his performance, you know, around 25th best edge player in the NFL. Cause he's not on the same level as like DeMarcus Lawrence, Von Miller, right. or Khalil Mack, but he's very, very good. Yeah. I'd take him on my team any day. Uh, as long as you have the support so many times and you'll hear a lot of good people that talk about pass rush say you need the triangle. You can have two really good t- players like we, like the Bengals have and Atkins and Dunlap, but unless that third guy is applying yeah. pressure, 
it doesn't do much for those other two yeah. to really to really jump off the page. Yep. And for us, that is Carl Lawson, in my opinion. He's the next best defensive lineman they have. He's the next best pass rusher. And his unique speed off the edge, and he's really not even a speed rusher. He is powerful. It's, yep. it's that his size provides him that quick twitch and that quick ability to, to come off the line as fast as he does. But he doesn't bend the edge. He doesn't get around the outside as much as he wins inside with that um, comeback move inside with the power. Uh, in missing him last year, hopefully he can get back. He's a workout warrior. I have no doubts that he does come back. He's mm-hmm. dealt with injuries in the past. It's one of the reasons he was there in the fourth round. Carl Lawson is key to this defense taking the step to get back to where they were. Carl Lawson and, and actually scoring some points consistently, <laughs> letting letting them actually pass, uh, rush the passer instead of because Carl Lawson. I looked at this; he has a total of 573 pass rushing snaps in his career against 111 run defense snaps. Just yeah. for comparison, because NFL teams pass more than they run at this point, uh, Carlos Dunlap is at about a two to one ratio in his career. So we're Which talking. Is ex- if you look around the league, that's extreme. Two to one. Yeah, he's more than that. You said uh, he was five hundred to one hundred, right? He was five to one. Lawson, yes. Yeah, right. Right. Ne- nearly six to one. Nearly yeah. six to one. So the Bengals really have hidden him from run defense snaps, and he got a little bit better in the limited run defense snaps we saw in two thousand eighteen versus his rookie year two thousand seventeen. But he only had thirty seven run defense snaps, so it's not a huge sample. I think if they were considering a position or not a position, a um, scheme change or at least altering it a little bit to be more flexible, it's because of Carl Lawson. That is the guy that at 23 years old, you're looking at as a potential in a year, if you sign him in a year, if he comes back healthy, as a potential cornerstone player for this defense. And getting him on the field in all situations so that teams aren't going to go out there in two wide receivers or with two tight ends and you come out there in your base defense and Lawson's not on the field. The way to counter that would be to move to a more multiple defense, let him stand up, play the edge position more of like a Vaughn Miller type and put him on the field in all situations. I think he could do that. I think he could thrive in that role and his production would only go up if he's on the field more in those which can be passing situations out of run personnel that we see often plague the Bengals defense. Sure. And just talking about this for one second, I was going to bring this up when we were talking about the defensive tackles. If they went to a three, four front, their base three would be Atkins Billings Dunlap, right? Those are probably, I think so. So unless you, unless you don't play Dunlap's kind of an odd fit, I believe. So if you didn't, you could say we're not going to play Dunlap in that 30%. Um, you could even say you want to play Atkins because those would be the snaps they need off anyways. But yes, I would agree from the surface, that's probably the three D lineman. I'd be pretty concerned about the run defense with both of those guys yep. off the field. That being said, the one guy that I don't know where he would fit is is Glasgow because he's probably not a five tech and he's probably not a three four nose. Right. If anything, he's closer to a five tech uh, and just you know, a situational player that he is now. So it's not a huge trend change for me. I think of Sam Hubbard, uh, where would he play? And he's next on our DN anyways. Hubbard is kind of the size or just shy of being a five tech. And he's got this, he's got the height, length and weight. I think he was 277 at the combine. If you can get up to 285 range, you feel much better about it. Uh, but Hubbard's got some agility and some flexibility to him. That at times, I think if he lost maybe 10 to 15 pounds, he could also play edge and and play as a run defending outside linebacker, kind of in the Greg Ellis, Dallas Cowboys 10 years ago mold. Uh, 
So I, I, I think Hubbard would be a weird fit. But again, we're talking about a, sh- a small set of snaps if they did go to a 3-4. Hubbard, on the other hand, in their 4-3, I thought he played well as a rookie. There was a lot of missed opportunities and missed plays for him. I thought there was a lot of rocky plays, especially early on when they're putting him inside at defensive tackle. Uh, but on the edge, he provided some help. He provided some hustle, some high-end plays, uh, some game winners. Think of the Dolphins game. And a spark and some energy. And I, I appreciate it. I think when you see some fans, though, list some of the young cornerstones that they believe are up and coming, they list Hubbard there. And I think that's a little premature. From what he does, what he's shown, he looks like a role player and a very good one. To me, he looks like Michael Johnson to have that type of career arc. And you would take that in the third round every year. We were, we're very you're more than happy to have Michael Johnson for the eight years or whatever it was with the Bengals. If Hubbard gave you that, you'd be happy. But I'm not ready to say uh, he's more valuable than Lawson or or some of these these Andrew Billings or any of those guys that are on the cusp of taking another step. Do you think that there is upside there with with uh, Hubbard? And what do you think that is? Do you think I that there's think athletic there's, upside? There's or? some. Yeah, it, he tested better than anyone expected last year at the Combine, except for his 40 time, which can be really indicative of high-end sacks. He ends up in the bucket of guys that maybe are going to top out at six sacks in their career uh, in, in for one season, I mean. Uh, but Hubbard is a good run defender, high energy, plays with good hands. you got a spot for those guys anytime. So at the very least, he's going to have a role and a niche in the defense. And if he can get the pass rush opportunities, maybe he can surprise you. I think... It, for looking at this defense, it'll be hard for him to get edge opportunities if both Dunlap and and Lawson are healthy. So him or Jordan Willis, the next guy in our DN, will have to figure out how to play inside and be that fourth pass rusher. Yeah, and, and they'll get opportunities. They'll probably be somewhat limited, right? Like they won't be on the field as much as Lawson or Dunlap in an ideal world uh, as pass rushers. Jordan Willis is another guy who, just since we're, we're, since we're on to him, I continue to wonder where his combine came from. It, he was an athlete. But the problem is when you watch him, and this is the hard part about drafting high-end athletes once they get into the third round or so. You like that roll of the dice, but there's a reason a pass rusher that was extremely productive and, and tested like an extreme athlete is still available in the third round. It's because his tape – I compared him to Marcus Hunt when he was drafted because uh, – yeah, he at times was very unaware, slow to react. You can see him coming around the edge and he looks stiff, but yet he runs a good three cone and shuttle. You go, how? So you watch and you're like, oh, his feet are pointed the wrong way. There's, And if I can explain this over, over voice, when you come around the edge and you're dipping and you're coming back up underneath the offensive tackle, if you can turn your feet or your hips before you even come around, your body will follow after. But when you watch him, he's more hands turning his upper body. Now his feet got to come around. So on tape, he looks like he doesn't know what he's doing or he looks discombobulated up upper half and lower half makes him look extremely stiff and slow coming around the edge. But when he tests, I was like, man, so maybe you can fix that and get him going. I don't think he's had the opportunity to fix it. He's not out there with the pass rush unit normally. He's one of the few guys that are getting equal run defense plays to pass defense. When you look at the Bengals snaps, uh, most guys have two to one pass to run because that's how the game goes. Willis is one of the few billings also that'll get – equal run pass and that means they view him as a run defender and he he might be a really good run defender but he's also like 255 260 so he's kind of the opposite of 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 hubbard and hubbard's viewed as maybe a better pass rusher than willis right now but willis may have some upside in year three 
Yeah, and he actually graded just talking about productivity much better as a rookie than he did in his second year. He was asked to play a little bit more. He was a liability, though, in pretty much every phase of the game in his second year. So we'll see if the new coaches come in and they can find a way to get the most out of his athleticism. He might be the other outside linebacker edge if they do good more three-man or three-four looks. You know, as we're wondering who that guy would be. Um, and I even talked to someone today, would you take Burns if they are going to do this more at, at 11? And I was like, well, hell yeah, I would. But, of course. you know, I, I started to think, well, if they don't, who would it be? And I, I settled on it probably Jordan Willis as of now. If it had to be somebody on the roster, it's between – I mean, it's Lawson is, is one. Right. And it's none of the guys that are currently listed at linebacker. Right. And then so it's it's it's, you know – Willis Hubbard, is 255. Yeah, I was going to say tested it's, well. it's Hubbard if he loses weight or it's Willis if he and, can. And you can have one of the two be more of a run defender guy that's on the line of scrimmage yeah. or uh, focused on that where the other guy is more going to drop into coverage. So you could be a little flexible with it. Yep. So that's most of the defensive ends. The rest would be depth guys. Are there even any? Kasim yep. Adabali, but I'm not sure if he's a free agent or not. He is a low-rung um, camp body for the most part. Yeah. So right now on the roster for 2018, Carlos Dunlap, Carl Lawson, Jordan Willis, Sam Hubbard, Carl Lawson coming off of an injury. How do we feel about this unit for 2019? Hopeful. Yeah. You want Lawson to come back because you yep. need him. If he doesn't come back, you're screwed, really, because you need him to be who he is. Uh, you are excited about what you saw of glimpses of Hubbard. Maybe he can take another step. That'd be great. He, he would probably overachieve and continue to be that type of guy that he's always been. Uh, and then you're hopeful year three in a new system where maybe the entire defense overachieves or gets back to it because they all underachieved last year. Yep. Maybe Willis can take another step and they can find the right role for him. Uh, and in year three, he he becomes productive. We talked about uh, Justice Mosqueda's uh, force players Jordan Willis is right smack dab in the middle of those guys and he should be productive if given the coaching and opportunity yeah so we hope that that works out on the defensive end as as an entire unit I think that it's hard not to be a little bit optimistic about the defensive line going into next year like the only I guess corners you feel okay about safeties you feel I guess it's really just the linebackers on the defense yeah. actually you feel very very bad about right now so that could change Going into 2018, we thought that the pass rush would be the strength of the team, and they went out and had a miserable year, mostly because by the time we got late in games where pass rushing happens, they were defending the run. So that didn't help. But you're hopeful that next year that all comes together. And, And then if they find a couple linebackers, maybe the defense gets back on track. Yeah, and that's I think it's key. Run defense wise, linebackers were a big. Uh, issue and I, you could see the D line starting to try and do too much, not trusting that their linebacker is going to fill the gap next to them, uh, and then being down as much as they were through the second half of the season really, really crushed them. And by that point, you already have lost Ryan Glasgow and Carl Lawson, and injuries are starting to bang a couple other guys up, especially backup defensive tackles. They just ran through that unit. Um, so, I'd love to take the same dice again and roll it again. To be honest, yeah. Or or add Ed Oliver and see what sure. happens. 
Yes, and that's a. I'm more inclined to take a defensive tackle, uh, especially a, a three tech penetrator, because when I look at that nickel D line, I still think there is a hole as yep. whoever's going to be next to Atkins. If 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 everyone's healthy and everyone's productive and playing well, it's Lawson at right end, Dunlap at left end, Geno Atkins at, at defensive tackle. Who is the other interior pass rusher? And as of right now, I don't think they have one on the roster. Yeah, because it's not Sam Hubbard, which we talked about. He looked way worse on the inside. Now maybe right. he takes a step. Maybe they're focusing. Listen, I want you to gain ten pounds. I you got to work on your hands. You got to get this, this, and that. Whatever the case may be, and, and that's his spot. Great, fine. I'm all for it. I thought Jordan Willis actually looked decent when he was inside, but one of those guys has to grasp that role. I think if you're walking into the season expecting one of them to do it, you're asking for what happened last year, and neither of those guys jumped into that role and took it. Yeah, and then your third defensive lineman and your nickel pass rushing set is essentially a spy. Yeah, you might as well not be there. You might as well go out there with an extra linebacker, and nobody's doing that in this league. No. Well, that wraps up our review of the defensive line. Uh, There is, I think, the potential for a draft pick at defensive tackle. Now thinking about this a little bit more, I mean, I won't be surprised if they take one in the first round, especially if Ed Oliver is there and they feel good about Ed Oliver. We feel very good about Ed Oliver on this podcast. If Quinn and Williams which he won't be, somehow falls to 11. Obviously, they're probably thrilled with that. I don't know that they would take a falling edge rusher just because we've talked about this. And there and there probably will be. So this will be actually kind of interesting mm-hmm. in the draft. There probably will be a falling edge rusher at 11. And if there's a falling quarterback and a falling edge rusher there, then that's where it gets really interesting for the Bengals in terms of like, do we do we try to move back a few picks? Is there somebody that wants to move up and grab one of these quarterbacks, one of these right. one of these edge guys? Can we still get a linebacker, tackle, defensive lineman, whatever whatever we think they're targeting in a few picks, six, seven, eight picks later? So, that's the part that really helps about the way the combine shook out with Devin Bush yeah. inserting himself with the other backup tackles. You know, what I thought was the second tier um, of Cody Ford and Dalton Reisner and Andre Dillard they tested good enough to feel confident about yeah. them. Plus the Bengals typically looking at like Willie Anderson, Andre Smith and uh, uh, Billy Price didn't have a workout, but there's one other guy that that's uh, escaping my mind that they've drafted high. Levi Jones wasn't a great one either, but that they test that they've drafted high that weren't great athletes or didn't test as great athletes at the combine. So uh, that wouldn't steer them. So I, for me, what my point is they could move back five, six, seven spots, accumulate another pick and still come walk away with a Devin Bush, Dalton Reisner, Cody Ford, and in my opinion, that's a win. Especially if that pick is a second-round pick. Sure. I would go back all the way into the 20s. We did this in one of the mock draft Mondays, but I think of the Chiefs moving up from Mahomes with the Bills, Bills going back to 27 from 10, and getting a first-rounder next year and a pick, I believe, of that same draft. So I would still be open to that because I still think you come away with I mean, if Dalton Reisner's still there, Andre Dillard, whoever the case may be, you could end up, if you're picking 25 or so, with a starting lineman and then coming very right back around and taking a linebacker or, or Mac Wilson there, whatever the case may be. But that first-round pick next year could be gold. Yeah. So that'll do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Get your questions ready. The mailbag this week will be recording on Thursday. So make sure you get us those questions by Thursday at Joe Goodberry, at Jake underscore NFL, at Lockdown Bengals. 
We'll be back tomorrow with an episode before then. So we will see you then, Bengals fans. Have a good one.